you know, you will get somebody who always wanted to touch their skin, wanted to, you know, literally just wanted to rub it off just to see. It's mind-boggling as well. How do you think that somebody's skin is going to be rubbed off because they are black? Welcome to Surviving Society. With Chantel Lewis and Tiso Regis. Executively produced by Georgia Fori Addo. If you enjoy the podcast and find it useful for your ever-expanding sociological imagination, please support us via Patreon. If not, you can always support us by sharing, subscribing, rating and reviewing. Welcome to another episode of Surviving Society. We are really excited today to be joined by Balaji Balagan, who is going to be talking to us today about race and racism in Poland and Eastern Europe. Like this topic for me and Tiso is something that we have just been like, we, we've, we've been privileged enough to speak to Bob before about his scholarship, but we just are so excited by this stuff because it's talking about race and racism within a place and a part of Europe that often gets neglected and doesn't get imagined, spoken about within sort of sociology as much and the social sciences. So this is a topic which we are really passionate about and we're really excited to take our listeners on a journey of your brilliant, brilliant scholarship. This is how sick Bob is. He is a double Leverhulme Fellowship <laughs> recipient, guys. <laughs> double Leverhulme. And if you don't know what that is, Google it. Google it. Bob is, Bob is leading the way. And also, he's just a lovely person anyway. So, Bob, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hi, T. Thanks very much for having me. So, so good to to have the chance to speak to you today about my work. I'm interested in history and I, I like to see kind of work that kind of pushes back on accepted narratives. So one of the narratives of, of Poland is that it's a victimised nation of Europe. It's, it sits on outliers and it's a kind of reconstituted history. No one really speaks about Poland in particular, how it's involved in that kind of great European game. In that kind of context, can you speak history of Polish migration and how it kind of links to Poland today. That's quite interesting way to start to. It's quite interesting what you said about you know history. History is very very important in all of this, and it's often played down. Um, there's no way we can understand what's actually going on, especially in terms of race and migration, without looking at looking at history. And in particular, also you mentioned the idea of victimization. I mean, especially I mean with the issue of Second World War, uh, it's quite very difficult to say anything about you know race or anything about guilt when it comes to uh, to Poland. But um, the history that we're looking at now, we need to go further back behind the, the Second World War to actually look at the Polish Polish migration. And I think a good way to also to start to unpack this is to look at the idea of Liebenstrom, the demand for space. I mean, many of the works that, that's been done about Liebenstrom has always been related to the uh, British migration or the, the British colonization of slavery or what the Spanish actually, what they've done in South America, in Africa, also uh, the Dutch, what they've actually done in Africa and other countries in the world. But what we don't often talk about or what probably we don't hear enough about is the idea of Liebenstrom in Poland or the way Poland tried to use the same notion of Liebenstrom elsewhere. So what we're looking at here is everything. It's quite interesting. I mean, especially in the UK and in the US, we've done a lot of work about slavery and, and, and colonization. But what actually the, the British colonization and the art of slavery, what they've done 
uh, the impact is not only within Britain, but the way they've actually influenced all the less powerful European states it's very, very crucial. And this is an area that actually we don't look at. So for example, we know that between 1881 and 1882, we know that Poland was part of a team that uh, did a kind of exploration of Africa. So in fact, the person who started the, the exploration was somebody was a Polish explorer called uh, Stepan Short um, Rogunjewski, um, if I pronounce that correctly. So what, what actually this guy, what he did, he just pulled a team a Polish group uh, together and they said well, they wanted to explore an unknown land of Cameroon, which is quite interesting. At, at this time that we're talking about 1800, there was no Poland as a state. Well, what we had was the Poland operating under superpower states like Germany and Russia. So what did this guy, what he did was to raise funds from the public in order to travel to Africa on the ship to start exploring uh, the native land. What is particularly interesting to me, what we found that when he, when he actually got to Africa, he joined the German trading company that already established in, in Cameroon. With the help of the British colony in, in Cameroon, he actually established you know, some sort of space for him to operate, to collect a lot of data, to collect a lot of materials, and they brought those, you know, back to Warsaw. Can I just pause you for one second, just to sort of recap? So what you're saying is there was a Polish state guy who went to Cameroon and was like, what are you guys up to here? Can I join? Exactly. Just, just the way you will see the, the British explorers and the American explorers, we go to on well, what they call unknown places in Africa. So Stefan Rogunczewski, he did exactly the same thing under the Polish flag. Now, just to put the Polish name out there. And also what is remarkable is when they, actually, when they came back to Warsaw, um, they, the stuff that they actually brought back from Africa, they, they did a lot of exhibition and they wrote about them quite remarkably. Published some of the things that they actually, you know, they wrote about in British journals, you know, just to give them that international standard, just to see the connection. So around all this, you know, even the, the places that we don't often pay attention to, the connection is, is always there. What I found very interesting, though, this little short piece about no, the exploration of Africa in 1800 is often seen as, well, it cannot actually be, you know, colonization because there was no Poland at the time. This guy's intention was not actually exactly, you know, colonization. But we have to fast forward to 1930s. This is the time when actually an organization was established in Poland called the Polish Colonial Society. Now, the, the idea behind the Polish colonial society is 19, in the 1930s was to actually to have a colony. And the argument behind that was actually to look at, they, they often pointed at, you know, Britain, you know, uh, France and Spain, that, well, these states, they have colonies. They are bringing things back from the colonies that, that added to the wealth of these of the states. So Poland at the time also demanded that, the routes to the colonization should be open to them in order for them to actually have materials being brought from the colonies into, into Poland. So this Stefan guy, he goes to Cameroon, he sees some of the other sort of white Europeans that are basically colonizing spaces and places within Africa. He's like, let me join, let me do it, let me, let me sort of see what's happening. He writes academic papers about what he's doing. The guy we just mentioned, Stefan, so he did his own stuff in 1800. Yeah. 
So by 1930s, so there was already an organization that was. So what what it seems to me, though, is what what Stefan was doing at the time was only a riaza to what was actually going to happen in 1930s when there was a really big body. And it's it's quite interesting also when we talk about colonization, we always need to think about, you know, navigation or or the sea. Sea is always at the center of all these things, you know. Um, they often, the, the whole idea is always started about, you know, let's explore the sea. And then gradually the idea of the sea will lead into somewhere what often being referred to as unknown location, and then that turned into colonization. And that's exactly what happened in 1930s when the, the Polish Colonial League or the Polish Colonial Society actually tried to have a colony, not only in Africa, but also in South America. The logics of colonization, the global the globalization of that colonial mindset, the kind of mainstream narrative is kind of always reductive to like the big powers. But also Scotland at that time is doing the same thing with the Darwin affair. So they tried to set up a colony in Panama, which fails, right? It's kind of the underbelly of the kind of lesser nation trying to kind of grab a piece of the pie. But also what kind of links to this kind of colonial logic when you speak about Lebensraum is the idea that it's linked to eradication of inferior peoples. Now, this is a key thing. So I was introduced into the concept of Lebensraum through the Nazis. That's how I came into it, because that was one of the key policies of one of Hitler's, I think, the, the final solution was part of that policy. That idea linked Lebensraum, linking, linking that to coloniality, it leads to, I'm going to say it, a fuckery situation for brown people. No, that, actually, that's that's where that's where thirty. That that's exactly what it is. Because if you, if you look at the way when the Nazi uh, when they started the whole idea of Lebensraum, it was actually before them that the idea of Lebensraum was actually yeah. emerged. But what you will find that where they put this idea into practice a lot more is actually in Africa. You know, when you when you look at what actually what the Germans what they did in in Southwest Africa, mm-hmm. it's exactly the notion of Lebensraum, and and it shouldn't it shouldn't surprise us that much really because if you look, I mean, if you look at the prosperity between Poland and and Germany, it doesn't take too much to think how quickly the ideas travel. You know, for us to actually pick on what they're going to do next. Do you know what's really interesting for me about this, right? So sometimes within places like Poland, and this is, I guess it's through like my sort of my own ignorance and kind of misunderstandings about history and needing to understand this type of history in more detail. I kind of like imagine racism within these places being kind of like homegrown. And this is why your work like blows my mind, because actually it's traceable to colonization again so actually those attitudes those those notions of inferiority those racisms come from people that have been to places said that these these people are inferior then brought those attitudes back like I know I'm sort of saying it in a really simplistic way but it just really blows my mind because even these smaller nations racism isn't something that comes like just naturally within a place that just has white people like it's it's brought back to nations that's what's sort of blowing my mind here I think it's it's really really important to put it in a very simple way as as you put it because I mean this is something that is not very much out there so it could get really quickly complicated. So it's really good the way you've actually simplified that this idea or the notion that we think it's only Britain that's actually involved in this high, the, the, the notion of hierarchy. When we, when, we, when we talk about this hierarchization of, of people, we often reduce it to certain groups, but we never actually thought about, well, th- this is really based on 
who is white and who is black. And if you look at the places where this idea has been tried out, they are always, you know, within the places where they are seen as actually dark continents. You know, it's and it's the same idea. You know, in eighteen hundred, you know, this you know, Polish guy actually it, it tried exactly the same thing joining the ranks of people that are already already doing it for the case of poland i think it's very important for poland the idea of living space linked to coloniality because mm-hmm. poland being a country that was had been removed from the european map three times the idea of a set up a space so it will never go a space for its people to prosper and so it will never be erased ever again is central to that project because the idea of not existing for Polish people, it's something that they bear that mark on them. It's in their history, in their very recent history, especially for the Nazi occupation. So for them, the idea of establishing a colony or extracting wealth from colonies is key to the notion of of, uh, of a state identity. Absolutely, and I, I completely agree with you. Too. That's exactly what you know. What I've actually tried to do in some of the papers that they already, I think, they already have first hand experience of not being able to assist. The idea that they would not be able to assist, for them, they had to do something about it. And one way of doing something about it is to expand elsewhere. I mean, Poland is not a small country, it's a huge country. And one way of that expansion would be to actually get outside of Europe and, you know, and, and establish, you know, what either it's a post or you call it a colony, but establish something in there. And also at the time, the the... You know the blueprint was already there that i mean this you know less known countries they will go on to repeat what the big names have already done anyway so if, if you look i mean everything that actually you know poland did at the time was almost nothing similar to what britain is actually done or, or spain is actually done previously so you can see kind of you know copybook going on in, in there but it, it's not actually been known Big time to the public and why I've, i will argue that the reason why this thing has actually come out to the public will be also the issue of the language you know i mean many of these documents are actually available in polish and no, no one actually you know is interested talking about them especially like t said at the beginning the notion of victimization you no know, poland has never been involved in in anything you know it's always been victim of of narcissism but on the contrary is actually try to exploit the same victimization, the same processes that Poland went through with Germany, try to use it as well. Please, from that point there you've just made, explain to the listeners what you mean when you are theorising and contextualising Polish centrism. Right, okay. So uh, when I, that's quite interesting. That is actually looks in my, in my second paper, so I was looking at Polish centrism. Mm. It, it's, it's a very simple notion. If you look, I mean, I developed this idea from a very simple um, perspective that everything seems to be for, for like a Polish state or for a Polish person, everything it has to be about Poland. This is where the nation becomes very, very, you know, important to every individual in, in, in Poland. You know, it's, it's always about the worldview of Poland. It's Poland has to come first. So it, it becomes the center of everything. So that I started gradually then thinking about, well, what's the best way to actually explain the way in which the state is held as the center of everything? Then it will be something like Polish centrism. So what I'm trying to say you now in a very short you know, uh, way of actually putting it is to just say, well, you know what? Nothing else matters except the Polish state, except the Polish culture, Accept the Polish language, 
know, the, the, the Polish way of doing things. And when you start establishing that, you know, the ways of doing things, also you include the, the language and the culture, then you start thinking about the Polish self. And by thinking about the Polish self, you, you have to bring in the, the way in which the whiteness is actually is serving as a kind of mechanism to the Polish self-conception. It becomes very, very interesting to actually say, well, at the center of all this is Poland and nothing else. Everything else is actually being excluded. So in the, in the name of that exclusion, then you started thinking about, okay, what's actually been excluded here? Well, we know that Poland has uh, um, ethnic minorities. We've seen in the history of Poland, the way those minorities have been actually been excluded. But the bigger exclusion will come when you look at it from the perspective of, you know, being white and being black. I think bringing blackness into Polish, you know, system of exclusion, I think it's, it's something that I think is very, very remarkable. It is. And when I first came across your work, I had just finished interviewing some black people that had lived or spent time that were British, well, that were quote unquote British and um, that were black and lived in parts of Eastern Europe, but a couple that had lived in Poland. And I remember coming across a blog that you did in the Sociological Review and just being like, oh, my God, someone's written about this stuff. This is amazing because the people that I spoke to that were black that had lived in this part of Europe had had a really terrible time in terms of like interpersonal racism, like kind of like racism that I would associate with like. 19th century type racisms. We can talk collectively about the differences between state, structural and interpersonal racisms. But these were like really horrific things like violence, just ignoring people within shops, mm. all that sort of stuff. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, someone's actually done re like proper research with people that are like that are black and that are Polish as well, that are not British. And I, I was thought, oh, my God, what must what must actually be happening to people that are that have that citizenship that are not white? I, th I think it's a very, very interesting thing that you actually you, you point to there. Um, I've, I've always thought that racism operates in the same, you know, the same way uh, everywhere. But of course, they follow almost similar pattern. The way they manifest, you know, the manifestation of racism, it's quite different in different places. So for example, in the UK, probably, well, maybe in the US as well, or maybe in the West generally, I mean, it's often subtle racism that we, we tend to see and we can easily put our hands on it. What you get in Central and Eastern Europe or places like Poland is very, very direct, right to the face. And you cannot actually misinterpret it. You will surely know that, well, this is, this is, this is racism at, at its core. And one way of understanding for me, uh, racism, especially in Central and Eastern Europe, is to look at um, eugenics, you know, so biological racism. You, you tend to know straight away when, so for example, I mean, that piece that you mentioned, Chantel, uh, in surgical uh, review, um, some of the people I spoke to, it's always issues always around the skin color, you know, even 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 in a very positive way. You know, you will get somebody who always wanted to touch their skin, wanted to, you know, literally just wanted to rub it off just to see. It, it, it's it's mind boggling as well. How do you think that somebody's skin is going to be rubbed off before they, because they are they are black? You know, on the contrary, you don't get a black person doing that to a white person in Poland. So is your skin going to rub off? And for me, that 
there is a kind of knowledge that actually produces this thing is the way you know probably the way black people is being presented to the polish society the way africa is actually being presented to polish society there's a notion that well you know what well, there might be something behind you know this skin color that it might it might rub off and it's 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 really really very direct that you you the same thing with the with the hair people wanted to touch you know their hairs they wanted to see if it does it grow or does it stay the same know the same length and it's 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 quite interesting and, and very very difficult to you know to ignore we know historically poland and how it was previously the, the commonwealth of lithuania and lithuania poland was a very heterogeneous place there's lots of different groups. so your the reality and the history of this place says to me uh it's, it's, it's a place of difference mm, mm. the modern representation of poland is that it's a, a white Catholic country, a very strong white Catholic country. So therefore, any idea of difference, especially a black and white difference, is going to be viewed in not in just a problematic way, in a way that's almost alien, because um, it's presented as a, as a homogenous space, not as a, a place of difference. Actually, this is one of my most favourite period uh, in Polish history. <laughs> uh, it, it's the, the love that. I, I really, I love it so much. Honestly, whenever. I, Whenever I talk about it, I get carried away. So excuse me if I get carried away. I love let's go, let's go. This period is actually called, in Polish, it's called Czespospolita. The first mm-hmm. Czespospolita is actually, it means a commonwealth. It's actually, is, is a union between Poland and Lithuania. They, it was a huge state, huge. It covered Ukraine, um, current Ukraine, uh, Lithuania, and, and Poland, it's the very, it's just, it was actually a diverse society. You know, you have Muslims, you have, you know, Christians, you, you have, you know, Jewish people, you know, there, there are so many religions actually, you know, being celebrated, you know, in, in Jesper's Polita. Quite interestingly, what you actually, what you mentioned there about, you know, the current Poland, the way it's actually been presented to people, for me, it seems to me like, it's a political project, you know. Whenever people are talking about the history of Poland, especially from the state's perspective, or even you know, the common way people often talk about Poland, it's always started from 1918, which is very, very recent. When Poland, the modern Poland, when Poland became a nation again, they always use that as a sense of, you know, to fight against their victimization, that, well, we, we disappeared. You know, after Czechoslovakia, you know, uh, 1795, you know, that state, that state you mentioned stopped to assist. It went under completely, you know, taken over by Germany and, and Russia. And then there was no Poland for 123 years until 1918. So when Poland, when Poland came back to become a state, so rather than the state continue to build on that multicultural, you know, we're receiving very open Czechoslovakia. No, the state elite decided to cut everything up from that point and started a new Poland, a modern Poland that is very, very, very homogeneous. And it's that that story that actually being brought forward now that we tend to 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 assume that Poland has always been, you know, white state for a very long time. There's always been Catholic. No, not really. This whole idea of Catholicism and the whole idea of whiteness only started, I would argue, just after the Second World War. Bob, what happened to all the other ethnic groups? They still did. Good, good question. <laughs> They're still there. I, I often said to people that, well, you know what? I mean, we always we often look at Poland and refer to it as homogeneous, but it's because we're not going deeper into the society enough to actually, you know, to see. 
in there. You'd be so surprised that Poland still has a mosque, one of the oldest mosques, you know, in, in Central and Eastern Europe. They are still there. I think they are also the idea of, you know, I mean, we know of Polish Tatars. They, they, are, they are Muslims, but they are white, you know, but the fact that they are white, they tend to, people tend to represent them, you know, to present them as, as Polish or just sort of like use almost the same, you know, idea to just put everybody under one single single umbrella. I, with, with, the, with the Jewish case, I mean, they used to, I mean, Poland used to have the largest number of Jewish community uh, in probably in Europe. But after the Second yeah. World War, obviously many, uh, uh, Jewish people moved to to Israel uh, because, and not only that, I mean the whole issue of you know anti-Semitism and all that. People started you know moving out uh, from Poland, but like, as Tim mentioned, they they are still there. And it's just that the they again like any minority group, the the voices are not actually being put forward. You know all this notion of you know Poland is white and Catholic, especially we need to pay attention to religion. Again, you've seen what's actually happening in Poland at the minute about the abortion, you know, uh, legislation, which is again it's not far fetched from the old notion of you know religion. The the, the role of the state and the role of the church in, in all of this is is quite interesting. Like it's making my mind blow up a little bit because I'm thinking about sort of processes of racialization within places like this because we kind of have like obviously britain think about the uk like how britain is racialized in the everyday and within this um and by the state as well is there's very much a sort of whitening alongside of a kind of multicultural multi-ethnic society that gets contested a lot of the time what i mean by gets contested is that the whitening gets contested but it also still gets sort of prioritized within these processes of racialization but within somewhere like poland like just coming back to sort of my slightly ignorant comment about like where are all the ethnic minorities like they're there that racialization that whitening that is sort of state and church sponsored reaffirmed is so explicit do I feel like it's more explicit because I'm not there does it feel as explicit as, as someone that spent spent a lot of time in Poland Bob does it feel as explicit as what I'm talking about because obviously I can find that that excluding racialization within the UK I can find that within my everyday life I can find that via my government I can find that when I'm on the tube but you can often contest it how does what I'm sort of saying map onto Poland in your opinion it does map onto it in a very very big way and and the very good way to also start to think about it is the way you actually said it look at what's happening in the UK you know look at the way whiteness is actually like you said it's been prioritized is being sort of like imposed on everyone. You, when you, for example, when you watch actually the news or the TV, apart from view channels, you don't get to see urban places. You see places that actually, in fact, when you look, when you watch UK TV outside the UK, that's what you get to see. When I was in Poland, it's always like you, you only get to see really great places where white people actually are. So it's almost exactly the same thing that is actually happening in, in Poland. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, we have a large number of ethnic minority groups in, in Poland, in, in the UK. In Poland, the number is very, very, very low. So the voice mm. of these people or the voices is even more diminished, you know, compared to what we have here mm. in the UK. So it's, even though there are one or two, maybe black member of parliament in, the, in, in Poland, their voices are not actually being heard that much. So 
if you if you can imagine what's actually what goes on in the uk it's almost exactly i mean not exactly but very similar ideology that the state is always looking for something to actually to pronounce itself and one way of doing that mm-hmm. is to use the population you know i mean the very large population and within that population whiteness actually plays a very very large role within it whiteness is very very important to poland because that is one of the major ways in which it actually you know professes its europeanness you know i mean you need to think about central and eastern europe so there's i mean poland doesn't i mean most polish people they don't like to be referred to as people from eastern europe because they will argue that actually poland is in central europe even though poland is actually the border is actually moved so many times that poland was once in the in the east you know closer now to the west so the notion of whiteness is very, very important to Polish nation in order to put itself on the map as an European state. The technologies for this is very, especially in that part of Europe, is very in, embedded since the wars of religion, right? This region is trying to separate itself be, between you know, you're Catholic and you're Protestant. And obviously you're going to get people of different mixes in different states. So the way to profess allegiance is to mark people out. You see this, the way they do this with the Tartars. You see the, you see the Ottoman Empires do that with Christians. You get certain privileges by belonging to a certain group. So a group needs to mark you out. So these technologies have been present in Europe for a very long time and just become very sophisticated. And once they come linked to the idea of racial classification, boom, you take it to the next level. Next level exclusion. Powerful stuff, man. That's really interesting, Bob, what you said about um, Poland wanting to situate itself within Central Europe rather than Eastern Europe, because I'm thinking about the racialization of Eastern Europeans, because Eastern Europeans have a very contested whiteness, particularly in the UK. When I grew up, Polish people were very much racialized in a very similar way to the very few black and brown people that were in my area in the West Midlands. I can't speak as confidently and as scholarly about how the whitening of Polish people has changed, particularly over the last 10 years within the UK. But it's really interesting to me about how you're saying that now, in particular, Poland really wants to situate itself within that Central European imagination. And perhaps that is to do, yeah, do with a whitening yes. as well. I think that there are also a few ways of actually looking at this. I remember in our preacher, we mentioned something about the way, when we, when we, when we were growing up, we used to watch, you know, films and the, mm. the body is always the one with Central and Eastern European accent. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And whenever they're going to send somebody somewhere, it's always going to be somewhere in Siberia where it's going to be a really difficult life. So all these speeches of Eastern Europe, you know, it's um, it's making people to fight back. Actually, that is not me. You know, that doesn't represent me. You know, I mean, it's quite very easy you know, for people, in the, especially in the UK, to just look at a Polish person you know, and say, well, actually, maybe you're from Russia. You know, you might yeah. not even be Polish. So th- there's this notion that, well, we just tend to lump them together in just in court, you know. And this is one thing that especially the Polish government now they are trying to to fight off, you know, just to move away from from the East, but more towards the West. At the same time, be fearful of the West, not wanting to actually get into the West, as we can see we've we've seen in, in with the whole, you know, struggle with uh, European Union and the Polish government. They they really don't want to get into into the, into in, in, into the West, but trying to establish their own super, you know, power within that region. The other way to look at it is actually this has been done before. If we look at whiteness in the states, you know, look yeah. at the way the Greeks, the Italians, you know, the Irish, 
the way they actually the way they became Y is actually through the process of migration and also wealth. Now, accumulation of wealth really plays big roles in this in the 60s, the way they became. Mm. And if we can sort of map a similar thing onto the Polish, you know, people, you know, say 20 years ago, we tend to look at Poland as a poor, you know, country, or anyone who's come to Poland, oh, they, they're poor. But since Poland actually joined European Union in 2004, up to now, if you look at the way the web is actually growing gradually, and for me, it's part of the processes of them attaining their whiteness in Europe. I agree with that, and I, I would second it and say, like, that part, especially in the West, in the in the Western European imagination, that part of Europe is associated with Slavs, and Slav is come from slaves, and that's too close to being black. So they consider themselves at one point that mindset of me being the black person of Europe, the slave of Europe, because the Ottomans used to enslave people from the Slavs and put them in janissaries. So this is a known history to them. Absolutely, that's more present to them than it is in the West. So they're very aware. That, so if you go to Hungary, it's the same kind of chat. The idea that they were at one point slaves at one point. They no. were the oppressed people and they are, they have contaminated blood. I've done air quotes, everyone. They have contaminated blood. <laughs> so this is a very recent history to them. It is, absolutely. <laughs> I, I remember uh, one former Polish MP that described Poles as the blacks of Europe. Boom! I told you. Mm. Well, see, I'm telling you. That's, right. <laughs> that's, what, yeah. that's why I like them. That's why they're friends with me. <laughs> Because, because of the struggle, well, because of the struggle they believe they've actually gone through is very similar to the struggle of black people. Having said that, that wouldn't stop them from, again, using the same process of you know, racism mm-hmm. and racialization against the actual mm-hmm. black people, either in Poland or even in the UK. Stay on the note uh, of whiteness. You know, in the UK, we've, also, we saw, we've seen the way also the Polish people that live in the UK use the same whiteness you know, against even black British. Yeah. Next year, we're going to be getting the UK census data out. There's going to be more presence of Polish people within the UK, more than there was even in 2011. And I think you're going to see a really sharp increase in Black Caribbean and Black African white Polish households more so than you had in 2011. That's not to sort of make any kind of point about like mixed race or anything like that. But I think it's quite, an, I don't know, I think it's quite an interesting trend to sort of like think about. Chantel, it makes sense because I mean, what you just said, it's already there. It's not being pronounced. So there's this group that I actually follow on Facebook, Polish women with black men. Um, they have the choice yeah. And they live in Poland. Most of these people, they live in Poland. One or two actually live in the UK. What they tend to do is just to share their experiences about, most especially about their kids, you know, they are they are dealing with you know, racism uh, in Poland. And I was very surprised. The point I'm trying to make is this. I'm very, very surprised how many of them, there are so many of them. It's just that we don't get to hear this, you know, on a daily basis. And also I think the reason why this is, I don't want to use the word suppress. But the reason why we, we don't really have so much about it is because there are more Polish women with non-white men. I cannot point mm. to any Polish men with non-white women. Almost impossible. And I think if it had been the other way around, if there are more Polish men with non-white women, I think that would have actually, you know, in fact, it would help us to even close the idea of race and racism in Poland in a way. Because it seems to me that I mean, based on my, my study, most of the you know, racism being carried out or the one being reported, they're mainly 
became mainly from men, a Polish men. Doesn't excuse Polish women either. Of course, it's it comes in different way, but the the the, yeah. the notion or the way in which Polish you know men see themselves and the states, they they really take the state or the Polish states to heart. Not to move away too far from what you 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 mentioned about you no know, mixed um, marriages. It, it's already yeah. it's already there, but it's just the way that it's not. Again, I remember very well somebody actually telling me about you know getting married to a, a black person, getting married to a, a, a Polish person. The church, the way the church actually, the way they embargo this. It's quite remarkable. Even the Polish church itself, they, they see the, so <laughs> they, they actually look at the marriage between a Polish person and probably a non-white person who actually belongs to maybe another sect of you know, Christianity. They look at it as a marriage that's outside of Poland. They don't really treat it exactly the same way as a, a Polish person marry a Polish person. It's completely different. So this is one of the rules of the church in many of these ideas. And what's really interesting about that, Bob, and just I just want to sort of clarify to the listeners, this isn't me and Bob now doing a to and fro saying that racism gets eradicated by mixed mixed race relationships. This isn't us saying this. But what, what I think we're going to see is between Poland and the UK, if you see that increase in that kind of mixedness at the same time as Poland reasserting itself as white nation, a white Catholic nation, then you're going to, I feel like you're going to see a sort of semi sort of, I don't want to use the word moral panic, but you're going to see a, a discourse emerge about p- Polish families being more immersed within black families and if you look what happens in Britain, it's always a, it's a problem. As soon as you start mixing, it's a problem and nations start to say, this is a quote-unquote a contamination. This is again. This isn't us saying that um, mixedness in any way um, resolves racism. It doesn't. But when you see an increase in mixedness, you do see a an assertion of nationalism and whiteness as a sort of contesting of it. Poland has joined the EU and it's tried to mark entry to the a modern nation. What we have to consider is the the kind of binarization of colonization. It's not just a one-way process. When you colonise, people come back. Now, this is the, the effect of colonisation. It affects the host country. It affects the uh, metropole. And this is one of the things I think people don't really speak about. Colonisation, we speak about in terms of affecting the countries that they went to, but not the effects of when the people who are colonised come back or when the people who were, who the people that left that country, when they go back to their own country, how are we affecting the metropole? It includes mixedness, it includes idea of nationality, it includes all these things because... It's a two-way effect. You just can't affect me. We affect you back. Paul Giro actually, you know, speaks directly to that when he when he wrote about the Empire Strikes Back. I mm. think that that's that's the point, really. You know, we often look at it from one way angle that well, you're the one living in glass house and you're throwing stones. If mm. somebody <laughs> that you're throwing stones at, if they throw the stone back at you, the glass house is going to fall, and that's what we are we are seeing now. You know, it, it's everything has been flattening. But we are not looking at that angle that people are actually, why are they actually coming to us? You know, but we're just, we kind of, what did we do for these people to actually come to us? But we're just asking, why are they coming to us? So it's, it's the same thing, um, exactly what you, what you said that about Poland being, trying to be part of the modern nation. It says a lot to be part of the modern state. There are certain rules that you have to follow to be part of the modern state. And some of these rules, you know, they're embedded with a lot of, you know, racial, racial ideologies that are not really open to, you know, 
to ordinary or common people to actually to understand. And those rules also include migrations and the rules around them and the laws around them. They, they all go together. And the fact that, like you said, Poland opened itself up you know, to a modern state, but at the same time, is not ready to accept the migration that comes with that, you know, that wave of being part of the modern states. And this, I think, is for certain things to exist. You need certain preconditions to be met, and one of the preconditions is migration, right? You need to be open to other people coming back to you because you can't or, just send or, people out. Or at least be prepared for it. You know, yeah. in, in my in my view, you know, I mean, it, no one is actually open. Let's be honest to, to migration. But people are just prepared for it. In my view, I think when Poland joined the European Union in 2004, it was just, they say it as a way of actually acquiring wealth, you know, for them to travel, bring the wealth back, develop the nation. No one has actually prepared the Polish minds for the kind of migration that's going to eat them, you know. And when it eat them, the people started reacting so badly. So, for example, I would have thought that, oh, when, maybe when, when Poland joined the European Union, there will be some sort of education about you. You you have to understand that people of color will be traveling from the UK, probably from Spain or the Netherlands. You have to be prepared your people for that. Educate people along that line. There was absolutely nothing, you know, in in that in that direction. Of course, there are laws around it. There are mm-hmm. you know, discrimination laws around it. But preparing the mind on how to deal with these issues. There was absolutely nothing in, in Poland. And it's also surprising that I mean, Poland is very, where Poland is actually located, it's really quite mm-hmm. remarkable, you know, between two superpower states, you know, Russia, you know, and Germany. You were thought that maybe wherever the development is, wherever, you know, the whole idea of multiculturalism that has already been tried in those big states being brought into Poland. No, they are fanned off completely. You know, with the notion that well, Poland is actually homogeneous, and the, that's the way it's going to be. But I was thinking some of your work on the idea of the racial contract comes into this. So the reason why that kind of there's not a preparation in that mindset because there's an assumption that Europeans can go wherever they want, and no mm-hmm. one comes back. This is even still with, with the idea in Britain, the idea of British sexualism. But we think, well, how how can people challenge us? It, like it, it doesn't even enter their mindsets. So it's the logics of that idea of there's a racial contract. There's certain enable rights that I've signed up to by being part of this thing. If it's the EU or being Poland, that I can just do what I want. That, that's quite interesting. So let me quickly tell us what actually where the idea came from. It's so wonderful. I, I kept reading this book by Charles Mayer, <laughs> uh, the, the the racial contracts. Um, and when I first came across it, I was like. This is quite interesting, but how are you going to manage this argument, the racial contract? How do you move around it? And it was quite good the way he started, when he started looking at the social contract, the contract traditions, the people that actually, the four main people that spoke about this, Hobbes, John Locke, Russell, Emmanuel Kant. I saw Tiso's favourite people. They're not my people. I like them. That's quite interesting. So when these four, when these four, well, European philosophers, when they started talking about the idea of contra, the contra was actually based on few individuals, not everyone. It didn't include anyone. You know, it's actually, it's actually, it said it's a system of exclusion. And the way even Charles May actually put it, it said, this is a contract just within us, the people who are equal, we, the right, the, the white people. So in a way, 
the same contract, if you look at the whole history, the whole history of migration and, and everything, you will see that it's always been about, you know, white people moving somewhere else. And that is really seamless. So as soon as the people from elsewhere started moving to, to Europe, then it becomes you know, problematic. And, and it, it's remarkable. And I thought about, oh, this is quite interesting. Because if you look, many of the things that some of the Polish scholars or the Polish people actually claim is the notion of being white. And they have the feeling that, well, although in the past they were written out of that contract, but in the modern states or the modern Poland with the of European Union, Poland is now part of that racial contract. Common sense way is kind of reflected in our language when we say expatriates, Europeans mm. are expatriates, brown people are immigrants, right? It's the idea that white people are different from the same experience doing exactly the same thing, but consider the same thing differently and view it differently. So actually it boils down it boils down to that the notion of you know being white and being black and and that's what, and it, and I've seen it myself no matter you know how you know British your passport is when when you get to Poland you will still be checked over and over again <laughs> compared to <laughs> yes you will still be looked over and over again compared to uh, a white person it, it's mm. there's there, there is kind of there's a degree in which you know I mean that you you go white British or black British you know what people see as British or the Polish people see, who they see as British, the white person, the, the black person in, in the Polish worldview, you cannot be British. You know, you can, you can either, it's again, remarkably, you can either be African-American or an African. That's really interesting. Yeah. Bob, I just could talk to you about this for hours. Honestly, like there's so much to cover. I think it's so it's so interesting though because um, I remember when I when I was in in secondary school, I never liked history. I really really used to hate it, and I think it was because the way uh, history was actually taught, you know, it was just history, and then so what? What happened? So how does it help me? You know, but mm. until I I got into the university, and then then you realize that well. In order to make a very, you know, substantial argument, you need to actually start from history. You need to draw from history and then start, you know, unpacking everything, you know, whichever way you want to you wanna throw it. And it's, history is very, very interesting and very remarkable. Things are not always what it seems or there's always more to the story. Bob, you are amazing. Listeners, episode notes is all of Bob's work so you can keep up to date with what this double Leverhulme Fellowship <laughs> scholar is up to. Patrons, head over to the Patreon. Now we've got another episode for you and we'll see you all next week. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to Surviving Society with Chantal and Tiso. You can now continue the conversation with us on Twitter and Instagram. If you enjoy the podcast and find it useful for your ever-expanding sociological imagination, please support us via Patreon. If not, you can always support us by sharing, subscribing, rating and reviewing. 